Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Money. It's on everyone's mind all the time. But this month, it's in particular focus. April is Financial Literacy Month. It's a time when we're all focusing on financial wellness. Coupled with tax season, don't forget to file by April 17th, people, and ALA's Money Smart Week, which is coming up uh, soon after from April 21st to 28th. And you have a month, a month of money. And it's a good thing. Regardless of where you sit on the economic ladder, we all have to be more mindful about money. For some, financial planning, the process, all of that, it's a piece of cake. But for others, money matters are scary. Saving, investing, budgeting, developing plans for the future. It can be overwhelming and sometimes straining for multiple reasons. Uh, A recent study by Cambridge University and the University College London bears that out. It's a large study and it was shocking. They found that very few adults are able to calculate change, work out unit prices, read basic line graphs, and more. Librarians, we're aware of this, and we're here to help. This month on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we talked to two librarians who have helped develop successful financial literacy programs at their library. First, I talked to Lori Burgess, Assistant Director of Operations at Fond du Lac Public Library in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Lori was a recipient of a 2012 Wisconsin Financial Literacy Award for her and her library's work bringing financial literacy resources and programs to the community. Lori and I discussed that work and what you can do if you'd like to offer financial literacy programming at your library. Next, I spoke with Heather McCune, a children's librarian at Richland Public Library in Columbia, South Carolina. A number of years back, Heather and uh, the library started Growing Savers, a program that teaches financial literacy to adults and children. Heather and I discussed the program and its impact on the community. But first, a word from a sponsor. Are you ready to laser les bons dans tous les? Then head to New Orleans June 21st to 26th for the 2018 ALA Annual Conference and Exhibition. Join thousands of your friends and peers for the world's number one library event of the year. See unforgettable speakers, including actor Viola Davis, journalist Jose Antonio Vargas, and historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. Attend hundreds of panels, forums, and discussions, including a very special podcast panel hosted by yours truly. And you can visit the very famed exhibit hall and much more. Registration is now open. Be sure to register before May 12th to take advantage of early registration rates. You'll be glad you did. Visit 2018.alaannual.org for more details. I'll see you all in New Orleans. Lori Burgess, Assistant Director of Operations at Fond du Lac Public Library in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and her co-workers have they've been at the forefront of libraries offering financial literacy programs to patrons in the community. And their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. The Wisconsin Financial Literacy Award that Lori was awarded in 2012 is a testament to her and her colleagues' dedication and work. I spoke with Lori recently about those programs and what libraries can do if they'd like to offer financial literacy programming at their library. Lori, uh, your library, Fond du Lac Public Library, and you you yourself, uh, you've been lauded for your efforts over the years to bring financial literacy resources to patrons. And I think the first, before we, uh, the first thing we should talk about is why. Why is it important, why do you think it's important for libraries to offer those type of resources 
uh, for the community? Well, I think just like reading is essential to our everyday lives, so is money and how you handle money. And, of course, we all know the economy it goes up and down and funding for libraries goes up and down. But how we deal individually with money affects everyone, every person from even kids asking their parents for that gumball to retirement. We deal with money every day, and it's almost just as important as being able to read. Absolutely. And um, how did you how did you and your library get involved uh, in in offering these services? I know it's it's going back a number of years, correct? Yes. Um, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. There are seven Federal Reserve banks across the country, and they each have their own area or region of the country. And the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago started a financial literacy initiative just in Chicago. And then they kind of branched out. And a neighboring city was one of their first reach out beyond Chicago. And then the following year, they asked us to participate. So that was back in 2007. And this Money Smart Week has been going on in the Chicago area um, for, gosh, maybe since 2005-ish. So it's been quite a few years already. And now it has spread throughout the country. We're coming up on Money Smart Week. What um, what do you, to, does your library offer for, for its patrons in the community? We have offered, we tried to offer a little bit of everything, and that's what we still do. We started, you know, with budgeting and how to invest and we partner a lot with financials, which I know is really scary for libraries. But we explained that, listen, this is an educational initiative. There's no selling. Of course, you're, each place is going to have their own bias. We all do. But as long as instructors are upfront about it, we rely on them to share their expertise. And oftentimes, financials when asked, they're like, oh, I would love to talk about what I do and what I know. And they're happy to educate the public because everyone wants a knowledgeable community. You know, they so it's actually worked out really well for us that librarians don't in at least in my, my community don't teach adults financial literacy. So, yeah, that works really well. <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned, it's, uh, I think uh, for a lot of people, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, uh, you said the word scary popped up <laughs> when it comes to talking about financial literacy. So I can, I can definitely empathize. Um, what, how did you overcome that with, with, your, um, with your staff? I know you said that they're not teaching it, but I'm sure that, that they are, that, that patrons are coming to them for, for questions here and there. Is there any type of special training that, that you offered your staff to, to confront in, in, in our financial literacy questions? Um, well, we handled it a couple of different ways. We were already participating in Money Smart Week um, before we applied for Smart Investing at your library grant. 
Mm-hmm. But with that grant, they build in staff training. And staff were surprisingly not incredibly receptive. I mean, they were still, like most of the public, how to budget. And the investing grant was how to invest. So we had to kind of backtrack even with our staff and say, okay, we're going to partner with wellness organizations and nonprofits and offer, just like we do to the public, how to budget, how do you handle money, what's the different, you know, spending, saving, and giving principles, just like for the public. Turns out library staff are just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Who knew? And what type of reception have uh, you received from the community for for the services that you're, you're offering, the financial and investing services? The community has been incredibly supportive of us. Um, Everybody says, oh, you should offer budgeting. I really need to learn how to budget. But what we found is that no one wants to actually attend a class on budgeting. It's boring, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So the more consumer-oriented we are, the more participation and support we get. So, for example, we have um, cell phone safety, how to bank on your cell phone and avoid, you know, scams and things like that, and how to shop online without having identity theft issues. And... um, One of our really popular classes is cutting the cable cord. So not only how do you drop cable and satellite services, can you actually move just to Netflix? And we find that a lot of our older community in town doesn't understand Netflix and Amazon Prime and, oh, you can go back to having an antenna. So those consumer issues that they all deal with money, we all use money every day, how can we just do it better? Oh, absolutely. I think I might have to drive up there and take some of your classes. Um, now, now you, um, you you mentioned the, the grant. You, the, the, that's the FINRA, FINRA grant uh, you're referencing, yeah. right? Um, that, that's, that, al- that allows you to offer programs throughout the entire year. Um, now, um, we're coming up on tax time. I'm just wondering, do you do, are you seeing an uptick in um, visits to your library and requests for assistance during this, this period? Of course. From January through April, I think every library in the country gets tax questions. And, of course, we're not tax professionals either. Um, And I know different communities have different partnerships with AARP or different local organizations to help people complete their taxes. Surprisingly, we don't get a lot of questions on how should I spend my tax refunds. So we still offer those classes of here's some options, and we try to even then bridge and guide people into, okay, 
how does this direct deposit work? How can you do the, the savings every month that is just automatically deducted from your paycheck? So we kind of use tax time as a jumping off point to bigger money issues and everyday money issues. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Um, now, for any any of our listeners or any librarians who might be listening who who are intrigued by this, who want to offer more um, services to, to their patrons or want, maybe want to get involved in Smart Money Week, um, do you have any tips for them or any places where they, where they, where they should start? Um, yes. Actually, they can start at moneysmartweek.org. That's the official website from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. And there are partner organizations listed on there. So ALA was the first national partner. So that's awesome. And we kind of, libraries often provide the neutral space for these programs. But it turns out we found a wonderful resource in our extension services. So if you have any sort of um, major university, land-grant university, they have an extension services. And part of their mission is educating the public and creating a healthy community, including personal finances and good nutrition and how to live healthy. So we have found some very good, very neutral, their whole thing is all about education, and very knowledgeable folks there that have a very similar mission to what we have. Oh, excellent. So definitely start with extension services. Oh, great. Um, yeah, Lori, this is this has all been wonderful, and um, I, I know I've learned a lot. I'm hoping that uh, our listeners can can heed some of your advice and uh, um, use some of this to to um, explore some of these options at, at your library, at their library. That is, um, Lori. Thanks so much for joining Dewey Decibel today. I really appreciate it. No problem. We've been talking this episode about how the library can help patrons navigate financial matters, but what if the library itself needs help? ALA Editions has that covered. Head to the ALA store at alastore.ala.org for books and resources on financial management for libraries, such as the succinctly titled book, Financial Management for Libraries by William W. Sandwald. Or for the university libraries out there, they have Financial Management and Academic Libraries, Data-Driven Planning and Budgeting by Robert E. Dugan and Peter Hernan. Find these books and much more at alastore.ala.org. When most of us think about financial literacy, we think about it as an adult matter for adults. But true financial literacy starts at a young age, when kids can learn about financial issues early so that they are ready for those responsibilities when they become adults. Heather McHugh, a children's librarian at Richland Public Library in Columbia, South Carolina, and her colleagues were cognizant of that when they started the much-lauded Growing Savers program for kids. I talked to Heather about the program and why teaching financial literacy to today's youth is so important. Heather, um, 
your um, uh, your program, Growing Savers, it's geared to teach financial literacy to adults, kids, and families. Um, I wonder, um, just just for some background, what was the the inspiration for the program? When did it start, and what inspired you personally to to reach out to the community and try to help them uh, in these matters? Well, um, the way it began is we um, had been invited to apply for the wonderful grants that FEMRA provides um, through ALA. And so I was brought on actually by an already existing team. They started kind of thinking about some things. And actually, the person that led the team um, came in and he said, I'm, we're applying for this grant on financial literacy. And I was like, well, count me out. And he goes, but I want to do something artistic in theater. And so that's my other life, aside from my librarian life. I'm a theater artist. And he goes, oh. I want to do some skits. And I said, I hate skits, but I think I can think of some other things that we can do. <laughs> so we started talking about it, and we kind of um, – I was talking to um, Quincy Pugh and Teresa Windham, who were the leads on the project, and so we started kind of talking about really taking a holistic approach to financial literacy and seeing if we could impact the whole family. You know, once they brought me on, of course, they have a very um, children and teen-focused job, so that's where my brain went, is how can we get um, children and teens excited about financial literacy, get them in the know, um, because, of course, we want to impact adults, but if we can start young, then we really have that lifelong impact on our community. So we took our inspiration from Schoolhouse Rock. That was one of the things that we were talking about is, like, how can we do something like that that will be catchy and make learning about money and really having a solid grasp on it fun for children and families because often money is a very stressful topic for families and one that they tend to shy away from. Uh, now, since you are taking this, you've taken this unique approach, what kind of um, programs – different types of programs are you offering as a part of the Growing Savers program? So when we looked at it, you know, we wanted to uh, – the way that I approached it and the team approached it that we thought it would be successful is to not only have some special breakout programs, but to have some things that infused it into our day-to-day -day life so that it became part of story times that people who might not normally go, I'm going to read about a book, a book about money during my family story time, that that became the norm. So that's one of the things that we wanted to try to do so that it wasn't just, we're going to talk about money for this little bit of time, and then we won't ever talk about it again because the grant's over. Mm -hmm. So we tried to infuse it in small ways, but then we did some really awesome things, like um, I mentioned our schoolhouse rock. Um, inspiration. So we have um, a tremendous um, kindy band. We had they were here at the time, and they're actually still here. The band has kind of reconfigured into a new band, but it's Lunch Money, and so and we have a very strong connection to them. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if they wrote our own song for us? So they did. And it's um, very very charming. And I knew Molly Ledford is a songwriter, and I knew she would not only write a great song, but she would think really hard about how to infuse the um, education part into it. It's still, you can still get it, you can still download it or stream it from our website, and it's called Shake Shake Your Piggy Bank. 
Yeah, I was actually just going to to mention the name of the song because it's a, it's an awesome <laughs> it's an awesome name, and it has a great little graphic. If you go to the Richland Public Library website, there's a great graphic of two kids shaking their piggy bank with uh, change falling all over. So definitely check it out. It's a fun little song, and it's and it's catchy, and it's I I, I really appreciate how, as you said, you're you're taking new new ways to to approach this because it is a touchy subject um and it's it, and it can be a scary subject too and i guess um to that kind of on the flip side how did you i mean it can, it can be scary for 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 patrons and families to talk about this but how did you and and the Richmond public library staff prepare to to address these topics and to did you have to do any type of financial literacy training yourself well, the the thing that we did, and I think I mentioned in the way that I got pulled into the project, you know, financial literacy is scary for me. You know, when I told my, I called my mom and I was like, I'm going to be working on this big grant potentially, and she goes, What is it about? And I said, Financial literacy. And she was like, Does this is the right person? <laughs> Do they know? And I was like, Yeah, I get it. It's not my strong suit. So, you know, we were able to infuse our team with a lot of experts people who had done some really amazing things um, with money and um, like one of our, um, she's actually one of our research librarians, um, wrote some blog posts about, you know, how she really just, you know, does a lot with a little and how she was able to save up for her first house, which was like an amazing um, story. And then, you know, to also connect our customers with resources. So we did some online things. We um, had some financial literacy experts come in so that we could actually teach some classes. So we had some series of classes just for adults to kind of tackle some things. And we wanted to we wanted to get into the investing um, part of it, but we also knew that we had to meet people where they were at. So some people might be ready for investing, but some people might just be like, be at the point where they were, how do I start a checking account? Um, because we were focusing on one of the elements of our grant was the African-American community. And we wanted to make sure um, they were really hit hard by the financial crisis in 2008. And so we really wanted to make sure that we were providing the information that made sense for that community, that we were kind of reaching people across the spectrum. If you are unbanked, you know, we wanted to see what we could do to kind of connect you with a bank um, or to get you in or a savings, um, a credit union or to put you in a place to save for the future, and then also how to budget and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the most impacting moments, and I saw it, got to see it several times, one of our uh, financial literacy instructors um, called one of those payday lenders and put his phone on speakerphone so everyone could hear what was going on. And he tried to press them and get them to say how much it would really cost if you took that loan in the long run. And so when everybody did the math, it was an astronomical sum. So there were some real, like, um, aha moments for people. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I guess it kind of brings me to my next question, is that you are doing a lot of things. This The the program, <clears throat> I guess, the, the, the public, the uh, Richard Public Library's um, engagement in, in this regard isn't just limited to the library, you are doing a lot of work out in the community. Um, I did, there's your work with the In Child Hunger South Carolina Movement, and uh, you're hosting children's free lunches at the library. you talk a bit about that? Um, what other type of programs beyond things that are just in the library itself that, that, that you're doing as a part of this? 
One of the things, too, um, that kind of was a natural progression for me that I was able to kind of get involved in is, um, and, you know, it's one of the things I think we're still struggling to answer for our community, like people are in many communities, is one of the questions that we, I remember getting was, um, what do you, how do you save when you don't have any money to save? I mean, literally. And I knew from the way people were asking, it was, you know, we are living paycheck to paycheck, and there is not any money to spare. And so that touched on a real issue for me and for our team. And um, through some other needs in our community, we started down the road. We <clears throat> we had some happy things happen. We were given, we were awarded a grant to get a social worker on staff to work with the ACA. And through um, that work and also we were able to get social work interns into our library. And so now we have two social workers on staff at our library. And so when people are facing some of these financial issues, they can see, they can make appointments with these social workers who can connect them to resources and agencies that can help them. Oh, that's incredible. Awesome. It really is. And, I mean, one of the things that I like, and, you know, I, 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 I'm not with the program this year, but um, I was with it for four years, and I supervised the interns. And, I, you know, one of the things I was amazed by is when you walk into many social services agencies, you know, they have um, and a parameters that you have to meet to get the services. So they may not even be able to talk to you if you don't meet those parameters. And for us, we are open to the public, so anybody, no matter what, you can come in and you can make an appointment and they can see if they can help you somehow. And so there's no agenda for us. We're just trying to see if maybe there's some resources out there that you may not know about that can provide you some help. Um, we had a customer who her significant other um, was um, in a – all of a sudden had – serious issues like a health crisis with his kidneys and needed to be put on dialysis and wanted to know about getting um, onto disability. So we were able to kind of provide her with the steps for that because she wasn't getting help on the healthcare end fast enough because, you know, you want disability to kick in as quickly as possible because that means money's going out and nothing's coming in until you are able to um, file and get your disability check. So um, it's it's been really impacting for our community, and it's a, it's a tremendous service. Absolutely. Um, now you mentioned the, 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 the impact and how you've you've given some examples of, of people who've used the program. But um, overall, I guess in the past, it's been you've been growing service been going for like four years, four and a half years. Um, how many people have been? I guess what's the, what's the, the response been from the community to the program, and how many people have um, have you helped or, or, or taken advantage of, of services or the programs? So, Growing Savers, um, you know, we had a lot of um, a lot of participation in the programs, and as you said, we were able to reach out to some other agencies, and some wonderful things have happened. Um, so, I would say throughout that part of, especially the granting period, because that's when we were really keeping specific numbers about that program. More than 3,000 people were impacted by the program, either attended a program, came to a kickoff. We had some really, um, some passive programming for teams where they answered questions about financial literacy, and we had prize drawings and things like that. It was great. 
So we had um, a big kickoff in our community. Our social work team sees a lot of customers. Um, I'm not sure if I can tell you, like, weekly, you know, how many they see, and sometimes it depends on um, during ACA time that takes away a big focus for them, but definitely they're um, they're into the thousands of people that they see and help and connect with agencies and resources in our community. Oh, wow. Um, now, if there's a, 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 one of our listeners, a librarian or administrator, um, who want to in, engage with the community and offer a similar program or something along the same line, um, do you have any recommendations for them? Where should they start? Um, any any resources they can turn to 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 get something like this going? Sure. So, I mean, the thing that I said, I always say about growing favors is, you know, you don't have to wait for Smart Money Week. You don't have to wait for a grant. You just grab some books off your shelf and you can start sharing them in story time. You know, um, we found, and because of the way the grant is set up, um, we could not engage with people in the financial industry. So that's one of the regulations of the grant, the center grant. And um, in terms of getting them to come and speak because of um, the parameters of the grant. But we did have a lot of people approach us and would have happily done it for free for us. So I I think if you look, and you don't have to look very hard, there are people in your community that would be happy to um, to share some of that knowledge with people in your community. And, again, for children and families, sometimes it really is just setting up some reading a book, starting that conversation, and um, providing the resources afterwards. Um, I mean, if you really want to go down the road, we bought cash registers and sweet shops and things like that so we could learn through play as well. And for the social workers, and I know every state is different in what they um, will allow for an intern placement, but I would reach out to, if you have a social work program somewhere in your state, See if they're willing to make your library a site, get some interns in there, and um, see if they can start seeing your customers. And, of course, um, our social workers are happy. They're, I know this is a growing trend in the libraries. Um, when we first started it, we were um, no, there were not as many as there are now. But certainly our social workers, um, Lee Patterson and Sharita, and Sharita's name just flew out of my head, <laughs> but they would certainly um, speak to another library and kind of talk about how they're set up, what they do, the program that's set up through our local university, the University of South Carolina, and how we were able to get interns started. So a lot of times it just takes a, asking the right people, um, and it isn't always a money issue. Oh, awesome. Um, Heather, thanks so much for talking yeah. to us. This has been great. Um, Growing Savers, it's um, it's an inspirational program, to be quite honest. And um, I'm hoping all of our listeners, if you if you have any questions or, or if you're curious, definitely check out the uh, Richmond Public Library's website. There's some great resources on there and some more information. Um, Heather, thanks so much once again. Thank you so much for having me. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Lori Burgess and Heather McHugh, for joining us today to talk financial literacy. Join us next month as we look at disaster preparedness at the library. You don't want to miss this one.
As always, you can join us on Twitter and Facebook. Please join us there. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Throw some show, uh, show topics at us. Or if you want, you can shoot me an email personally at deweydecibel at ala.org. Your voice is important to us. Please talk to us. iTunes users, also, please rank us and review us. It helps us reach more listeners. Until next month, I'm Phil Morehart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thank you.